I would love to hear a little bit of what was shared. Uh, so I know like, maybe there was a little unfiltered uh, discussion when I said, uh, share an adjective that describes a teenager you know. But I'd love to know if you heard an interesting adjective, uh, one that's uh, worth shouting out um, and, uh, and would like to share. What, what, what's, what's something interesting about a teenager? Adjective, go ahead. Appetite, <laughs> energetic. There's this kind of time season where you're eating a lot and have a lot of energy to spend, right? Yeah. What else? Yep. Back. Teachable. Teachable. All right. Yeah. Either they are or they have a lack of, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but both. Yeah. But there is. But but it is a time when they're certainly searching. We all did that, right? So there's a searching that's going on, teachability from that. Um, passionate. passionate. Moody. Moody. Sensitive. 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 Yeah, yeah, great. Yes. Hot headed. Hot headed. What else? Other adjectives that came up? Curious. Curious. Yeah, maybe too much curiosity sometimes, or not enough. That's interesting. Yeah, but there is a cur- it's a curious time. What else? Addicted. Addicted. And bad, bad habits. <laughs> bad habits can form. Fentanyl. Yeah, <laughs> we hope not fentanyl. <laughs> um, but we, it's, yeah, yeah, maybe their phones. Learning self-control, yeah. 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 So learning self-control and their limitations, and also having this kind of idea that they're self-sufficient. Maybe even um, they kind of yeah can do everything they set their mind to. Yeah. Yes. Dumb. Yeah. So, have you just come from George Crawford's Sin Makes You Stupid? That was, I've, I feel like that, was a, that came out of that, but yes. So, a little bit of immaturity that leads to that, right? Well, um, I think there are probably plenty. Um, I will tell you that having served uh, uh, alongside these men and others for uh, well over a decade now, um, they are... Extraordinary is the adjective that I would use. It is an extraordinary time. It's a season of, as we heard, curiosity, of teachability, because all of a sudden the world is kind of opening up. Things become more complex, uh, and minds become more interested in that complexity. And we were created to grow. Uh, right? And our minds were created to change and grow uh, along with our bodies. And so, and this is, you see bodies accelerate in that growth and as do minds. And that just causes, so just so you get a lanky teenager who trips and falls a lot, you've got a lot going on in their mind that's doing that same thing following the physical growth. So such an interesting time. But I'm sure you can resonate with a lot of those adjectives, I'm going to call you to remember the word extraordinary. 
It's an extraordinary time. God created people to be born and be babies, to grow, to accelerate that growth during the second decade of their life, and then to become a fully formed adult. It's part of his creation. And so it's extraordinary because anything God does is extraordinary. And so we're going we're gonna to really kind of marinate in that today. And regardless of what adjective you've, you'd use to describe a teenager living with you or the ups and downs that you've experienced with them, for the purposes of today, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna really focus on that relationship between the family dynamic, the parents and their teenage or preteen children. And if you don't fit in that category, maybe you're here kind of um, to scare yourself for what's to come or uh, to sit back and say, hardy, har, har, uh, I'm out of that stage or whatever it might be that compelled you to bring um, yourselves here. Uh, know that what we really want to understand is how can we, as those who are be- going before those teenagers, be helpful to them in their journey. So I imagine there's a number of, of scenarios in the room, and I'm going to kind of see if I can strike a chord with, with some of you. I'll read a couple of scenarios that I could think of based on the conversations I've had on the church patio. So parent number one, you can't stand your teen. They seem to purposely do things that get on your nerves. They don't listen. They don't seem to care about anything you care about, and if you decide to care about something they care about, they lose interest. They just seem to tell you that you're wrong all the time. And most of that leads to an argument. You're here because you're at wit's end. Being away from them for just this moment on a Sunday seems like an escape, and you're not really looking forward to seeing them again this afternoon. Or maybe they're sitting next to you, but you (laughs) still don't like them. Parent number two. You're really thankful for your teen. You have a mutual affection for one another. You've watched them grow and mature, perhaps even come to faith in Christ. But sometimes, and perhaps a little bit more recently, it seems like you're just missing each other. You find it hard to align your differing points of view, and you disagree with one another, and it ends up in an argument even when you didn't intend it to. You're here because you truly want to have a peaceful relationship, but you can't seem to avoid those challenging moments. Parent number three, you can't believe how much your teen is like you or your spouse. These similarities make it really great, but also really hard. And you see your own sinful tendencies begin to creep into their lives, and it really bothers you because you feel like you're at fault. You're here because you're not exactly sure how to interact with a mini-you, but you need a lot of wisdom from the Lord. Parent number four, you're a little lost in your relationship with your teen. The younger years seem much simpler now that they're behind you. Back then, correction was easier. Their love was consistent and unwavering. You were their hero and they were your darling. But that relationship is different now. You don't see the same love and affection from them, and it almost seems like you went from hero to villain overnight. 
You want to ask them, who are you and what have you done with my baby? You're scared that you've lost the closeness that you once really valued, and you're fighting to get it back. You're here because you want to recapture those cherished moments from the past so that you can make more of them in the future. And finally, parent number five. You're just waiting for the teenage season to end. You were warned by others it would come, it's here, and you were comforted knowing that it was only a phase. So you're looking forward to when your teens will emerge somewhat as healthy adults, and you're praying that day will come quickly or Jesus will just return. <laughs> you choose to avoid the discomfort by avoiding the tough conversations. And you keep the peace as much as possible in the, until the end of the season. You're here because you're wondering how you can accelerate to the end of the season and say, whew, we made it through. Now, some of this is hyperbole. I don't think anyone perfectly fits this, and you probably have a bit of a combination of a couple of these that I read. And there are more than just these scenarios. But the dynamics vary, certainly. Some of the principles do not. It's a challenging season, and the subject matter is on your mind a lot. It's what you talk about with your friends when you get together. When someone asks you how, to, how you're doing, some part of how things are going with your teen often creeps into the description. Maybe you find yourselves wishing that you were in a situation like someone else's, or maybe you just want things to be a little better than it is. And I will say that no matter what the scenario is, there is some level of wishing it were different, or wishing it wouldn't be this way, or wishing it won't last. And no matter what the scenario is, whether you get, you, you get along really well and you just have these moments, or it's really terrible and you're just fighting for some sort of hope, every parent in this room has two things in common. The two things are, your children are a gift from the Lord, and your goal as a parent is in to introduce them to him. Your children are a gift from the Lord, and your goal as a parent is to introduce them to him. These truths apply to every single parent, no matter how you became a parent, because they are in your care. They are a gift, and you have a responsibility. So where, where does that come from? In the first place that we see that uh, show up very clearly is in um, Deuteronomy, but we're going to get there in a moment. First, I want to direct your attention to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. We'll begin there this morning. We're going to read the entire psalm. It's five verses. This was written by Solomon, the son of a great psalmist, and a psalmist in his own right. Psalm 127, verse 1 reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to, and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to you his beloved sleep. Behold, 
children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is, womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Right here in verse 3, we see a truth that is undeniable. Behold, children are like a heritage, or some versions might say a gift, from the Lord. The Bible constantly talks about children being a gift. They're precious. They're a display of God's kindness. They're a blessing. They're often promised to those who are now in the hall of faith. And those promises, when come to fruition, are what ignites. Think about Abraham. It ignited an entire nation when he was given the gift of a baby. And who are they given to? Whom are they given to? It doesn't say that they're given to a community. It doesn't say that they're given to a church or a temple. Verse 4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. It doesn't say that they're a blessing to everybody in the community, although we know they can be. The gift is to their parents. It's a very clear connection. They are a gift to you. So what should a parent do with this gift? And we learn that now we can go to Deuteronomy 6. So Deuteronomy, of course, we've been uh, looking through a lot of of these passages uh, on Sunday nights. If you've been attending, Deuteronomy was um, given as guidance, uh, part of the book of the law for Israel, and it focused in in chapter 6 on the family. And uh, we'll we'll pick up in verse 6 first. Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit at your your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. But let's back up. We know this passage. We know that we are to teach the scriptures diligently. Let's back up to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In a church that prioritizes the truth and the preaching of the scriptures, it is important that we teach them diligently to our children. But note that it's all in the context, not so that they would just know what the Bible says, but its author. Your command in Scripture is, and this is where maybe some of the, the Jewish people got it wrong because they, they just ha- they do, go through memorizing, right? But it's not just the Scripture. It's the author of the Scripture. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's what you're teaching your children. And the Scriptures help you convey that. 
And so if we go back to the, that goal, so children are a gift from the Lord, and your goal as a parent is to introduce them to him, you see this begin when God first ordained a community of his people. That you, as the parent, are the one that is to introduce them to the sovereign creator of the universe. And so it's really important to get back to that basic, to focus on the reason why God created parents and the family. He could just plop kids here, but he gave everybody a parent. Why did he do that? Because you see in his perfect plan, it was the parents that would, would communicate to their children who he was and is. So what are parents to teach their children just who God is in his character. Your children are a gift. You get to teach them. It's your responsibility. So if that's the goal of parenting, then how do you accomplish it? What scripture can you go to that guides you how to do this well? Or even more specifically, what good advice does the Bible have to help you address those day-to-day challenges and pitfalls that come from just interacting with a teenager. You can take your pick. I won't deny that there's a ton of help in Scripture that directly addresses parents and children. Deuteronomy 6 certainly does. Exodus 20, the commandment to honor your parents. The beginning of Ephesians 6, which also says don't provoke your children. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his children but the one who loves his children is careful to discipline him. Later in Proverbs 29.15, he reiterates that the undisciplined child disgraces his mother. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go that he would not turn from it. There's so much. You can do a whole study. This whole summer, you could do a study on what the Bible says about the relationship between a parent and their child. And I would encourage you to do that. I want to land on something Paul said in his letter to the Philippians. So in Philippians 4, you can turn there, and this is where we're going to be for the balance of our time. Philippians 4, and again, this is a very personal letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. Uh, He has in in chapter 2 really his testimony Uh, is there for us to read. Um, And so you see a lot of his kind of bearing his soul, inspired by the Spirit to teach us what his perspective is on so many things that are going on in that day and irrelevant to us today. So by chapter 4, he's really talking a lot about the challenges and triumphs of ministry. And we see, starting in verse 11... I'm going to actually start in verse 10. We're going to go down to 13. Philippians 4:10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not a trick. This is the right passage. It's not about parenting. It's about contentment. And I don't mean to make Sundays in July a Trojan horse to talk to you about contentment. I mean to tell you that as a parent, uh, as a shepherd, as a co-laborer in youth ministry, contentment is a, a key to making sure that you can have peace in your home. So let's explore it. Let's see what Paul has to say. The first thing that I, I, I want to look at is in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, being, I am to be content. Here's my first point. You know, we had those kind of earlier setup points, but this would be kind of point number one. Learn to be content with the teen God gave you. Learn to be content with the teen God gave you. Paul says, in whatever situation, I am to be content. Your situation is that you have a teenager. That is your current situation. You have other situations, probably, but that might be front of top of mind right now. And they are yours to parent now and in every stage. You are their parent, and they are yours. It's a situation you cannot change, and you should not hope to change. Now, it's important to have the right view of contentment. Contentment doesn't just say, well, fine, I guess I have to deal with it. That is not contentment. That's putting up with something. That doesn't, that doesn't show a biblical Christian contentment. The term content literally translates to sufficient. You believe that anything you need beyond this is superficial that you have what you need. You are not needing anything else, anything additional, anything different. A content Christian says to God, I see what you've given me, I trust you completely, and I know you know better than I, and you have given me what I need. So I will carry on with that confidence. So what can you say about your teen. If you are learning to be content with the teen God gave you, what can you say about your teen? Can you say, I, I've seen, God, what you've given me in them. I trust you completely. You know better than I do that they're the one for me and I am for them. There's a, there's a temptation to make statements to start with I wish my teen was a little bit more like, fill in the blank, or if my teen would only do this a little bit differently or a little bit less. If that's the narrative in your mind, then that's a display of discontentment. It's just the perfect display of discontentment. Discontentment says, I don't like what I have in front of me. That is perfect discontentment. And so you're going to have a hard time, you see how the connection is, you're going to have a hard time finding peace in that relationship if you're starting from a place of, I wish, I wish this whole thing were different. 
How do you find peace in that? The truth is that no child will be perfect, and neither will any parent. Amen? So if we know that we won't be perfect parents, do we hold our teenagers to a higher standard? And what is that standard? Who made that standard? Who built those rules? Let's be careful that our discontent isn't bred by a wrong thinking about who our kids should be. God knows that in his sovereignty, he put the two of you together in this relationship and created you the way that they are. you are. That's it. And so learn to be content with the teen God gave you. We go on in verse 12, which says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. When we study scripture, we must remember that every word is inspired. And we're looking at every word in this verse, and there's a lot of these compare and contrasts. And really what what Paul is wanting to say is, it's here in the center, which is in every circumstance. Uh, But but he's going to do a lot to kind of explain that he really means it. And so point two is, if we're saying learn to be content with the team God gave you, it's learn to be content regardless of the circumstances. So it's not just what you have, but it's what's going on with what you have, right? And so, um, and so we see learn to be content regardless of the circumstances because Paul starts to kind of uh, banter about his circumstances. And you can look at repetition in this passage like being brought low and abounding, those kind of compare and contrast. Uh, I know how to live in humble means and in prosperity. Um, Plenty and hunger, uh, which actually translates to being filled and going hungry. So so you see a compare and contrast there. Uh, Abundance and need. So three of them in one verse that that were actually, um, abundance and need is actually just a Greek repetition of brought low and abound. So he's really trying to reiterate the, the juxtaposition between the different circumstances you can have, right? And it's telling us something. It says, this is important. I'm going to give you three comp- contrasting uh, uh, word pictures, and I want you to pay attention because this very important phrase that lands in the middle of the verse is supported by all of these different juxtapositions, right? So it doesn't matter, is what he's saying, in every circumstance, right there in the middle, in every circumstance. And it's not just every circumstance, right? So again, he uses repetition to say, to to be redundant, in every and any circumstance. Just just in case you were like, um, in in any circumstance, yes, But in every circumstance, yes, also that. Both, all, and everything. So it is is the epitome of a complete statement. Every single circumstance. There isn't a circumstance where you are called to be discontent with what God gave you, right? You can be discontent knowing that the world is where it is. That, that's, a, that's Christian discontentment. There's something there. But you, you're not discontent with what God gave you in it. 
or the fact that he put you in this world in this moment, just like you're not discontent with the kid that God gave you or that you're raising him or her in this moment. So think of it like this. Paul is saying, whatever my circumstance, humble means and prosperity, plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I have come to realize this is the best way to handle anything with contentment. It's the best. Wherever I've been, and he has been rich and powerful, and he has been poor and jailed, and he's saying that it didn't matter because contentment was the answer. It is the best way. And so now, at this point, we have a lot of applications, right? Because contentment is not just related to the amount of money you have or whether things are going well. It's in every in any circumstance. And so we can start saying, okay, so every circumstance, what does that look like? Start pulling it into your day-to-day. Sure, God gave you those kids. <laughs> You're content with his sovereignty about those, that decision. But what about what happened sometime this week? There are sure, surely things that you didn't like that happened this week. And so, I, fine, I have this kid, I'm working through it, but I really, is it okay for me to not like what happened this week? Well, you don't celebrate sin, but be content that you saw it. What if you didn't? Be content that it, brought, it got brought to light. Or be content that you saw the eye roll, even though it's really painful to see an eye roll. Can you be content that that happened? Because contentment will drive then what you do. If you're discontent that that happened, it becomes, oh, no, you didn't. Right? It's really hard to be content and make a statement like that. Your contentment says, hey, can we just talk about what, what I just saw? Do you see how just a spirit of contentment, recognizing God puts you with that kid in that moment, at that time, to have that conversation? Conversation is so different. Paul's charge, oh, by the way, also, when so-and-so's kid does something awesome, that sometimes breeds some discontentment, right? By the way, so-and-so's kid is never as perfect as your kid tells you they are, Uh, or maybe even as perfect as so-and-so tells you they are. So there is no perfect kid. There's no one who never talks back or always follows the rules. But that's not what you land your contentment in. What you're landing your contentment is, is whatever is happening in front of you is what God appointed to happen in front of you. Are you content in that? So Paul's charge is to be content in every and any circumstance. And when we start making statements that don't support that, it doesn't reflect a proper understanding of contentment. And his word is really clear that a Christian needs to be both content in who their kid is and how their kid is. Now, some of you are thinking, my kid does not know the Lord. Can I be discontent with that? It's a, it's, it's, it's a hard thing, right? We pray for our kids. We want, those of you who are in here 
If you've heard me speak before, you say, you know that my heart is for you to know Jesus. And I want that just like your parents want that for you. But I am content knowing that God, in his sovereignty, has appointed a time for you to be saved. Just like he appointed a time for any of us to be saved. So contentment also says, I am here to introduce this child to the Lord over and over and over again, and it doesn't matter how long, and it doesn't matter how many times I say it, and it doesn't matter how many people are praying, all I am responsible for is introduction after introduction after introduction, and that is your responsibility. And be content that in his sovereignty, he may require three introductions, 13 or 1300. And you and I must be content with that. So learn to be content with the team God gave you and learn to be content regardless of the circumstance. If we look at verse 13, we're going to find something interesting in a moment. But you may be thinking, wait a minute, Matt, I thought this was supposed to help me fix my broken relationship with my teens. And I want you to know that I don't have a desire to tell you that your kids are supposed to obey you. You already know that. You already know what the relationship is supposed to be like. And many of you have been parents maybe for longer than I have. But I can tell you without a doubt that if it is not connected to your spiritual health and well-being, it's not going to work. This happens with anything. How do you get rid of sin if you won't be sanctified? <laughs> right? You just, you just expect it to disappear, but you're not going to do anything? How do, you, how do you create peace in a relationship if you're discontent with that relationship? So what the most helpful thing is is that we establish a foundation, as we've just done, in learning that it's, it's not just about obeying a command, as important as that is. It's about a mindset that's rooted in understanding that our great God knows what's best for you. Do you believe that? And do you show that when you think about your parenting issues? Or even your marriage issues? Or even your issues at work? Do you know that God appointed all of that? Do you believe what is being preached even today in the worship center? With that foundation, then we can get to this next verse in Philippians 4. And it's a famous one. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me or who gives me strength. It's not a Bible verse to inspire a marathon runner, everybody. <laughs> it gives no credence to the person who says that they can do something absurd, but God's on their side, so they're going to jump off a building and they'll fly. God doesn't work that way, and that is taking this significantly out of context. This verse is about what happens when you're content. The next time you see it on a bumper sticker, remember, this is about contentment, not about superhero powers. 
when you are content, then you read the verse, God's truth, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why? Because you're content. So the third point is find strength in contentment. Learn to be content with the teens God gave you. Learn to be content regardless of the circumstances and find strength in contentment. Parenting brings with it impossible moments. And that's nothing new for those of you who have parented for over a decade. Do we need a list of impossible moments that already happened? Discovering that you would never again see eight hours of uninterrupted sleep? That seemed impossible before I had kids. Diaper explosions in a car seat? No way. Impossible. What about that first moment of discipline? Their cute face, but you knew you had to. That heartbreaking lower lip. Right? Impossible. If you're like me, the first sight of blood, also impossible <laughs> as a parent. And this, it, we can laugh about it, right? Because we, we kind of did that. But I don't think we realized how much strength we needed for that to get through those moments. Especially when you're sleepy, you're tired, and you're having to figure that out, and it's new. And part of the reason we persevered is because we were both content with and confident in God's appointment of those circumstances. There was no doubt when we were holding a baby in our arms that we needed to care for that baby no matter what they did. And those hard baby moments were as ordained as the hard teenage moments. But all of a sudden, we feel weak. Talking to teens seems much more challenging than changing a dirty diaper. Why? What happened? Are you actually less equipped now than when you first became a parent? Do you lack something for this season? Is there something that you missed? Is there a class you didn't take? If you're feeling weak, then this passage makes it clear where you find your strength. It's through Christ. With an understanding of God's perfect plan, content in those circumstances. So we came to this room with great expectations, Matt solving all of your problems. <laughs> and we open God's word and see the antidote to the dilemma of unruly teens is not a 12-step process. It's contentment. It begins there. And perhaps you're discontent with this simple solution. I want to let you in on a little secret. Each year at Camp Regen, we have breakout sessions. It's part of the kind of the normal thing. Students look forward to it. We take uh, kind of a morning session, break it into two, and they have about a dozen breakout sessions that they can choose from. They're just seminars similar like Sundays in July. Uh, maybe it's something that would serve them well. Last year, my breakout session was entitled, Parents Just Don't Understand. <laughs> and it was packed. <laughs> In fact, we, we had to move to another room 
because they just couldn't get everybody. And there's like people in the hallways. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the most dynamic preacher on that list. I think it was the, the subject matter. And perhaps your teen was in that room. And if they were, here's the secret. They heard this exact same message. We opened our Bibles to Philippians 4, and we talked about contentment. And the only small tweak I made is the first bullet was learn to be content with the parents God gave you. You see, you have something in common with your teenager. (laughs) And what that is is you both really want to get along. But you'd rather the other person change. And then you can get along. That does not sound like Christian contentment to me. It sounds like you've lost your focus on the two truths we explored at the beginning. The children are a gift from God, and your goal as a parent is to introduce him, them to him. So I'll ask you this. Is your contentment on display? Is your contentment on display. Does your teenager know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you believe they are God's gift to you? How have you shown your teen, not like once upon a time, not on their birthday at Christmas, in the last five days, how have you shown that you believe they are a gift? Does your teenager see you thank the Lord for them? Do you and your spouse together thank the Lord for this gift as much as you did when you were holding a baby in your arms? That's easy. This is a miracle. I remember that moment. But do you, do you thank the Lord for the smelly, talkbacky teenager that you can no longer hold in your arms? Is your gratitude adjusted just because they grew up a little bit? No less of a miracle, no less of a gift. In fact, it's a gift every day that you still have them. So the the value of the gift is greater today than it ever was, and tomorrow it will be bigger, and the next day, and the next day. Is that the way that you see the teenager who comes and sits at the dinner table and won't say anything and gets upset when you ask them to put their phone down? Is your, is your focus still on the goal of introducing them to Jesus? Is that the headline? If your teen professes Christ, are they able to follow you as an example of his likeness? Do you demonstrate what it means to be a Christian to them, believer or unbeliever? You are the closest model they'll ever have. Do you worship the Lord with your life? Do you spend time with him? Do you ask forgiveness? Do you make the gospel center in everything you do? Do the conversations you have with your teen result in debates about things that will pass away or the things that will remain? I know this is hard. 
And I'm right there with you. <laughs> but Paul did harder things, right? Let's just get some perspective here of where we landed in the text. We plop right in. Paul's in jail. And he's saying that he's, you, know, may, you may feel like your house is a prison because you got these teenagers. This guy was in real prison <laughs> by the Romans who uh, did not have air conditioning. He had fewer resources, less freedom, no modern comforts. And still he says that in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. If in every circumstance means every conversation you have with your teen, every difficult moment, every hopeless discussion, that you still can find contentment in those circumstances, then you're modeling Paul as he modeled Christ. And that gives him great honor. And it will do well uh, to a, a teenager who watches you do that. And you might be thinking, <laughs> it's too late. We are too far gone. Really? Isn't what we talk about here every Sunday and, and more days a week, if you come more days a week, about trans, being transformed into the image of Christ? So if something new pops up and it makes you look more like Jesus, isn't that an example of what we preach here? Don't be so proud to say, I can't start being content. I've already told them they're not the teenager I wished for take it back. So I'm going to ask you to consider the hardest thing that I think a Sundays in July will ever ask you to consider, which is, do you need to seek forgiveness? Not for just one thing, or maybe not just for one thing they see, but for what you are thinking in your heart and mind about them. Do you need to ask for their forgiveness for the way that you have thought about them as you approach parenting? I can't answer that question for you. Your spouse might. My wife can usually do that. <laughs> but I'll ask you to contemplate that because that's a matter of following what Paul's saying here. And it's really important if you're wanting to, to set the record straight and, and, and move forward with less strife. And I'm not promising no strife. But I think it's going to be different if you're coming to it knowing that Christ gave you strength to be content in those circumstances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word never returns void. There is wisdom for all, for each one of us, and for every circumstance and situation. And we thank you that we can open up to that wisdom and glean from it something that we can apply immediately as parents, as leaders, uh, even as, uh, as children, Lord. I pray, God, that whatever is going on in the households that are represented here, they would ma be made new by uh, what your word does, which is brings to life things that are dead. And I pray, God, that if there is a deadening in a relationship between a parent and a child, um, either in this room or listening to this recording, I pray, God, that you would give them freedom through contentment, to find strength that only you can provide in being com committed 
uh, to following you and to recognizing that you are the author of everything in their lives. Thank you, God, for the faithful parenting that is going on here in this room and at this church. Thank you that we filled these seats uh, with earnest people who want to glorify you, who understand that their children are a gift from you and that they have a responsibility to introduce them to you. We pray, God, for the salvation of any who are influenced by these parents and that they would be quick to respond to that invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.